a couple of things in this. I have, maybe some of you can identify with this particular prayer. I got it years ago, but I kind of bounced out of my stuff this week. It goes, Dear God. So, because, you know, the, the little kid story was about repentance and stuff like that, so this kind of fits. Dear God, so far today, I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy. Grumpy, nasty, selfish, self-indulgent. I haven't whined. I haven't cursed. Um, I I, I haven't... um, There's a word here that I can't say. Uh, Let's see. What's a good word for that one? I haven't uh, slandered anybody. Okay. And I haven't had any chocolate. And I haven't put anything on my credit card. But in a few minutes, I'll be getting out of bed. And I'm going to need your help for for the rest of the day. (laughs) Uh, you know, sometimes things, <laughs> uh, so far so good, but I'm going to get up now, and then we'll see how, how it all goes. Well, in the spirit of the message of today, <clears throat> some of you did notice that earlier in the service I was not wearing a tie, and now I am. So what happened? Well, I went over toward my seat, and Susan said these words. See, this has to do with wives submitting and stuff uh, today, the lesson and uh, controlling uh, wives. Uh, um, There's other words both, that I'm sure will come up in my Bible somewhere. And she's, she said to me, you're not wearing a tie. I go, yeah, I know. I said, well, do you want me to wear a tie? No, no it's okay. Okay, it's okay. What? Do you want me to wear a tie? Well, no, it, it's okay. It, it's okay. It's okay. Well, look, I, I have a tie. I can put it on. Do you want me to wear a tie? No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I mean, if you want to look like you're not married, that's, that's okay. <laughs> so, I have a tie on now. <laughs> Is it better now? <laughs> There's another story that goes something like this. I'm going to give you the short version. Uh, God spoke to this man in prayer. He says, okay, the doors of heaven are open here. You know, verbalize your prayer request and I will, I will answer it right now. The guy goes, really? No, no waiting? No. He says, okay, Lord, I want to understand women. Okay? It's a, what, what a mystery. He said, they cry for no apparent reason. They really think that we should read their minds. You know and sense something is wrong, but you ask them, and they say, no, nothing's wrong. And then they, they want to look at you. They look out the window and stuff, and finally you keep saying it, and then they say, well, if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to tell you. So I have to confess, I just really don't understand um, how that works. And uh, you know what? I did, I did this one backwards. We're going to have to kill this one. I, I said it out of order. Never mind. And, and no, it's too late. At a different time. Okay, when you, okay. That was the second part. The first part is the guy says, okay, he's a surfer. He says, what I, want, what I want is a bridge from L.A. to Hawaii so I can drive there instead of fly because <clears throat> I'm, I'm afraid of flying. And God says, well, you know, I don't do stuff like that. The guy says, okay. But then he asked about the woman. So after he said that, the Lord said to him, okay, um, about that bridge, you want four lanes or six? <laughs> so it goes like that. So. Yeah, well, I got it back. Sorry. So last week, we, we had sort of a Father's Day message. 
didn't quite finish it. So, what we were talking about last week was the, the role of a biblical father. What we have is, uh, you know, the Bible gives us roles and responsibilities of family and of family members and how things are supposed to work with good explanations. Okay, uh, the biblical roles and responsibilities of a father. We went through several of those. Uh, but Paul, in Ephesians, groups together all the family relationships. He, they're all in one, and he goes down the list. Uh, husbands, fathers, uh, children, and the whole community, actually, on how they are to relate. Now, we started last week with a, fam- a, 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 a verse you all know and love, Proverbs 22.6. Who can quote it? Train up a, tra- a tra- child in the way you should go. How's the verse go? Okay, right. And we showed that the Hebraic understanding of that verse is not, not, not just like going to a classroom and getting facts, but it's inve- the father is to invest in the child. Time, investing time, being committed to spending quality time, instruction, imparting wisdom, uh, outwardly demonstrating love. Not a word, but by doing, showing that you love that child. And as you're doing that, you are training him up. The, another word is, is discipline. A lot of words on discipline, but discipline, when it comes to children, means discipleship. It's not you know, giving them the board. It's discipleship. Correction isn't whacking them. Okay? But it, it's discipleship, learning the truth of Scripture. In doing that, you're developing a unique relationship with them, and what they have is a unique set of giftings and spiritual giftings and natural giftings from the, your DNA, from your, your wife and so on. And what you're doing in spending that quality time is developing those uniquenesses, those gifts, those abilities, and even, even those wishes of what I'd like to be versus what you want them to be. Because maybe that's not what they're supposed to be. So being sensitive to, to what those things are uh, is important, and you spend time raising them up to be all they can be. That's a part of the parent responsibility. Now, these same principles apply to all relationships, not just to the children or, or from a father to a, to a child. But fathers, we said this, you are the role model in your home. You're the role model because the kids, are, when they become a father, they're going to be one just like you. Like it or not, good or bad, if you're the role model, that's what they're going to be like. And, we, you know, that's, that may not be a good thing. But if you do it biblically, you want them to follow that role model because you've done, you've not just said something, you have actually done it. Now, how you treat your wife, men, fathers, is the way that your kids are going to treat their wives. That's important. So what the kids see at home, that's what they're going to do when they grow up with a family. Keep in mind, talk about their mom, how you treat their mom. Okay, the, the young men will treat their wives that way. Now, girls, girls, over here, young girls, pay attention. When you're developing a relationship with a young man, <coughs> courtship, and so on, uh, how does he treat his mom? You need to observe that. Because how he treats his mom is how he's going to treat you. Observe that. Take note of that. <coughs> and I showed last week that research shows that teens' greatest complaint about parents is that they don't listen. It's, it's really up, it's way past number two. They don't listen. So parents, listen. Take time to listen. 
to hear what they have to say, to hear what's going on. Sometimes they'll say stuff, and by the way, they, they want to be honest. They'll say stuff, you don't hear it. It's really important stuff, like something they've done that's wrong, and you just go, mm-hmm, mm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't talk now, I'm, stu- I'm studying Torah. Don't do that. Talk to the kids. Because that, that <laughs> it's amazing when they ask those important questions. Okay, when you least expect it, they, they pop an important question. Whenever that happens, stop what you're doing. If the game is on, turn the game off. Even if it's the World Series or the Super Bowl, turn it off and sit, because that says something. That says to the, the child, you are more important than some game. All right? So, so listen, listen. Man, like my father's on all these roles. You present to your children the image of a father. And what they see is what they perceive of that picture of what their heavenly father is actually like. And that's why when we're dealing with some people about, you know, we might pray to our heavenly father to you, like, oh, you got to be kidding. My, my father is mean, abusive. In fact, he's never even home. So that, that's the picture. What they see in their father is a picture of what they will perceive their heavenly father to be. So what's it like? Is he available? Does he love you? Does he listen to you? Does he pray with you and for you? See, some of you have or have had or don't ha- have not had dads to be that role model. But you know what? You be the right role model as you grew up and, and have your own family and fill in the gap that you missed because you will understand that. Now, some, some of these perceptions of, of that father go to the place where people, young people can perceive that God is actually even mean. He, he's mean. He, he, he's abusive. Uh, so we need to correct the image in Scripture. Now, one part I left off in my teaching last week that was important to me as a little child is that I was in uh, organized baseball, a little league, a Babe Ruth league and other stuff, five consecutive years, and then after that, two years of, of track and field along with it. My dad never missed one single game. Never missed one single game. I don't know of any other dad that, that was on my teams that, that did that. i got to tell you, that meant a lot to me. He took time off work. He would go to work early to get up early to come and see me play and drop the ball, you know, and make mistakes. And we have home movies, 8 millimeter. And I don't know how it is, but every time you take a movie, you make an error, okay, and you record it. My good plays are never on film, all right? <clears throat> But in all of that, he never said I was terrible or lousy or whatever. He was always encouraging. But the fact that he, that he was there, I could look back, and he's there, meant a lot to me. So dads, be there for your kids. If they have a game, be there. If the team is terrible, just doesn't matter. Be there to support your kids. It's important. And you know what? Some of you that don't have kids, we have kids here that have games and do things. Come and support what they do. Okay. Uh, uh, speaking in, in, into their lives by example. By example. <clears throat> now, last week, as I was ending my teaching, uh, <laughs> we were talking about the, the concept of a biblical father. Okay, a biblical father. But the connection is a biblical father is also a biblical husband. The same characteristics, one goes to the other. You can't be a b- biblical father without being a biblical husband. All right, so. And the whole concept is that you model in front of your kids what that is like. 
what these instructions are. And how do we do that? Okay, how do we do that? Well, I, by accident, I learned this one. I'm going to share something out of our distant past a little bit. When we were dating, we dated for a couple of years, right? Long time. And Susan had three kids. And the middle daughter, Beth, she was around maybe nine or ten at the time. <clears throat> and I was over at their house, and they were cooking stuff in the, in the kitchen. And I just, stuff just comes out sometimes. And I, I was casually talking, and I said, um, uh, do you know, uh, um, pretty face, do, do you know what time dinner's going to be ready? This guy kind of came out, because she was, had a pretty face. She still does. Okay? I, I said those words. And I thought, you know, they came, and Beth, Beth comes over and she goes, what did you say? <laughs> I said, I don't, know what, I don't know. She said, no, no, what did you just say? What, what, what did you say to her? I go, oh, oh, I said, she said, she's smiling, she's glowing. She says, did you say pretty face? I said, yeah. She says, okay, I thought so. She caught that one. She loved that. But I would call her mom that endearing of a name because it just kind of came out, okay? What are your kids hearing at home when you, when you refer to your wife? What is it? What do you call her? Hmm, sometimes it's not so good. That's what they remember. That's what they remember. Well, Paul, when he gets into the list of the how-tos, how to be a biblical family, a believing family, and how to relate to each other, in Ephesians 5 and part of chapter 6, <clears throat> he starts off with the wives and submission. And that's where we ended last week. Wives, submit. I have this one memorized. Wives, submit to your husbands. A lot of people have that one memorized. Now, years ago when I taught this, this little section, we spent three weeks on it. Not this time. So you're getting the squeeze-down version. Wives, submit. This is one of the most abused scriptures, improperly taught in the entire Bible, mistranslated, and so on. And it goes down to two, two words. And let, let's read the words that we have translated and go from there. Wives. By the way, you've got to stop here. The key to understanding all this is context and structure. But we don't think Greek structure in America. Okay, but the context. The book of Ephesians... The context has to do with, uh, and Paul begins chapter 5. Look at how he starts this one chapter. Be imitators of God. Other versions say of Yeshua. As dear children. Be, we're to imitate him. That's the beginning of the context. Everything under that should fall in line with that one. We imitate him. And then he goes down to this section about how we are to behave as a community. In verse 19, we're to be speaking to one another in, look at this, this is, this is worship. In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is worship. It's a part of the life of the community. It's ongoing. It's all the time. All right? Giving thanks. That's a, another word for worship. Always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what the word is. It's right there. But that's not some harsh... There's another word for the concept of master or slave and, and, and uh, dominion and dominate and, and control. That, this isn't that word. We're going to come back to what that word means. 
But that's the word they, they pick on. The next line, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Messiah is head of the congregation, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the congregation is subject to Messiah, let the, also let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved the congregation, the, the community, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. Are you starting to get a different picture yet? A glorious community, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands are to do that. Husbands <clears throat> ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Those are really important words. Okay, we're going to end. My, my last part of this teaching goes to those two words. Paul is getting to those two things. The role of the husband is to nurture and cherish his wife. Far from the other stuff that we have heard. Okay, going on. For we are members of his body. It's the whole community. And then he goes into the quote from Genesis. For this reason, the man, we taught this, this, these words meant last week. Man will leave his father and mother and be joined, cleave, leave and cleave to his wife. The two shall become one. He quotes Genesis, the presentation of Eve to Adam. Now, this is a, a great mystery, but I speak concerning the congregation and the Messiah. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's what it doesn't say to love him. Hmm. And children obey your parents. That's back to, to the Ten Commandments. Okay, this whole section has been greatly misunderstood. Let's take a look because the, the understanding it has to come from the structure of the Greek itself. I've checked several Greek scholars and sources, and it's pretty amazing. Here's what's, what's going on. Uh, there are two words that people zero in on. Okay, uh, the two words that they emphasize, where they form doctrine, and a behavior model uh, of how a wife and husband is, is to relate to each other. The, the, these two words are wives submit because the husband is the head. Okay, wives submit because husband is the head of the wife. Now, the translators in time past wanted to clarify this for us because people didn't speak Greek and understand the Greek structure. So actually, that word for submit appears, but not in the, in the order we have it here. But it appears to, where it appears, it automatically connects to the previous verse, having to do with the community, not the husband and the wife. Church history has presented a master-slave picture, a master-slave model in marriage. Other stuff, too, hasn't it, that we are learning hasn't, hasn't been the right thing in interpretation. The context and the structure of the Greek are very important. Paul begins the chapter by talking about imitating. If you get that picture, we husbands are to imitate Yeshua. We're to be like he is. We're to act like he does. Start making that list of what he's like. All right? We are to reflect him. We're to reflect him to our spouse, in our home, in our family relationships. Uh, we're to treat each other the same way as he has his characteristics, his values, uh, people of integrity. The translators had an agenda in time past. Uh, they changed the structure when it came time to put it in English and other languages. 
They change the, the culture of the context. In verses 19 to 21, they, it says that the community is to submit to each other in the joy of the Lord. Okay, there's a joyful aspect. Now, the word submit, what does that mean? You walk all over people? No, it has to do with getting along as a team, a committee, a team concept. We work together for the good of the whole community. It means not always having to have your own way, but you do it in a joyful way because later Paul says you, you do it out of respect to Yeshua. So if you have in mind what you do is out of respect to Yeshua and what he's like, you're on the right track. Speaking the scriptures, singing, making melody, not demanding our own way. But in verse 22, when it comes to, to the wives and the submissions, here's exactly what it says. It says, wives, now listen carefully. The previous verse said, had to do with the, the submitting of the community, getting along with each other. Okay? It says, wives, to their own husbands. It doesn't say submit. And it says, wives, to their own husbands as to the Lord. It's a picture of the wife used to have a relationship with their husband as you have with the Lord. It's, 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 it's a, there is submission to the Lord, isn't there? But it doesn't do that one word or that one concept. The structure emphasizes the wives, listen carefully, it emphasizes the wives' submission to the Lord, not to the husband. The actual structure, that she is to be submissive to the Lord. Now that, there, there is a connection, but it's not the um, subjugation concept or master-slave concept. Because the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? See, that's been, he's the boss, right? That's not what this says. He's the master. No, no, no. The word head means source. Paul went back to Genesis. Where did Eve come from? Anyway, he came from Adam. That's what he's saying. He's making the connection I made last week about in the creation of Eve, Adam was the source. And in that, in that source connection, God made an equal for him, a partner in ministry as for a companion. That's the picture. It wasn't a slave for the, you know, to do the gardening in the garden and the cooking stuff, okay? It was a, an equal, a companion, a partner. That's what that term means. And, and Paul goes back in this section to that quote from Genesis we talked about last week. In fact, there's many commentators' opinions that this section in Ephesians chapter 5 was a part of the Messianic wedding ceremony of 2,000 years ago. Where the, the, you would quote these things, putting them all together, and paint a picture of a biblical marriage between two believers. We talked about last week that she is created uniquely. He is created uniquely. And she for each other, to complete the other person. It's a completeness, not a master-slave. Not a master-slave. Head does not mean master. doesn't mean control. It means source. Okay, source. In verse 25, you see, notice that the, the wife part is kind of short. That's the part that's really long. Starting with, with verse 25, you have a, a, a real contrast. Uh, love your wives. It's a, it's a special Greek word, agape, which means all giving, not 50-50. How do you do that if you're the master slave? You don't. You can't. Because the picture that's being painted is, as the Messiah loves us, they, that's the way you love your wife. The Greek word is agape, all giving love. Husbands, agape your wives. Well, you can't do that if it's control or if it's, if it's uh, master, slave, and so on. Okay, the, the, the contrast 
is is not in the context. The, the, this whole the, the context is not about wives being in submission to their husbands, okay? But about husbands loving their wives. That's the actual context. If you get that one, the rest falls in line. Now there's a caveman theology, okay? That says I have the club. I grab you by the hair. I help you know you do what you know. Some people do that. But what's the model here? It's not the caveman. It's the Yeshua model. If we're to love our wife as Messiah loved the community, how, what did he do? It's, that, it's the shepherd sheep. Okay, it's that kind of love. If you, if you can picture that, it certainly isn't what's been painted in, in time past. It's the Savior model. And he provide, all the things that he provides in miniature, the husband is to, is to provide for the wife. The better translation would be something like this. And you, you might ask, well, then why don't they do it? They're real careful in touching some of these old translations. Okay, certain texts, because our English Bibles come from certain Greek texts. And so they're real careful in, in messing with that. They'll talk about this, but uh, we, we need some boldness in, in, in the near future and getting it back, back to what it really means. What do the words mean and putting it in that order? A better translation would be something like this. <clears throat> As the wife is to the Lord, so she is to her husband. That sounds a lot less harsh, doesn't it? Listen, listen again. As the wife is to the Lord, so she is to her husband. Well, do you submit to the Lord? Yeah. But you know, why do you? Well, because I love him. Yeah. Because of what he does for me. Yeah. You do that whole thing? Well, yeah. You mean it's voluntary? Yeah. Nobody makes you? No. See, the other word, that word sub submit that in, is in English says you have to. But, but the picture is I really want to. I, okay, as a believer, do you want to be in submission to Yeshua? And all that he is, the, the good shepherd, all those wonderful, loving things he does. Yeah! That's the same picture. The wife is in submission to her husband because she wants to, because that's how he is. That's how he treats her. That's how he loves her. But, but, but the submission is not every little thing you say. The submission has to do with being a team, working together, a partner in life together, not you do what I say. As the husband loves us, so the husband is to the wife. That's how it should be translated. Okay? As the husband loves us, so the husband is to the wife. The key point is this. How do we demonstrate that kind of love, man? How do we do that? How do we, how do we show that? <laughs> to the Lord. As she does to the Lord. The picture is the life of Yeshua. We are to model him in front of our family members, especially our wife. It doesn't say this. Control your wives the way Yeshua controls his sheep. It doesn't say that. Does he, does he control his sheep? No. That sheep can wander? Yeah. But what sheep choose to be with that shepherd? All right? That's the picture. I choose to be in this relationship of a teamwork of working together. And that, that picture of that kind of submission is my choice, not that somebody makes me do this. I do it because he loves me, I love him, and together we love the Lord. It's a model of my relationship with the Messiah. We're to love them, men, in the same way that Yeshua loves his sheep and demonstrated. And Paul goes on to say, and he died for them. 
You know, that, it's that kind of all-giving love that he's talking about. When a man does that and shows that kind of love, all-giving, I will lay my life down for you. Not as long as, you know, because agape doesn't have as long as anything. It's that I, I choose to love you in this way. And because it's the same way Yeshua loves us. It's, it's one of the highest callings in the scripture. And one of the hardest things to do. Okay, the master-slave thing would be a whole lot easier, right? But that, that was the Roman picture, the Greek picture of marriage back then. And Paul is teaching the opposite. I, don't, I, have, a, I have all these quotes of the famous people of the time on their view of marriage. They're terrible. They're horrible. What Paul is doing is raising the level of women's rights uh, by, by a long ways. So, how is Yeshua? How does he love? Is he forgiving? You know, Aaron and Diane talked about being patient. Is Yeshua patient? Yeah. Is he forgiving? Yeah. Okay, all those things that he is, that he does, man, we are required to do that in our, in our marriage. It, it's, it's a high, high calling to be like the Messiah, modeling it to our wife in how we treat her, how we behave toward her. And it's, it's 100% all giving. It's not give and take. The structure of the Greek Okay, well, I'm painting a little picture here. The structure of the Greek is emphasizing not the wife's submission to her husband, but the wife's submission to Yeshua. That's, that's what it's emphasizing. When she submits to Yeshua, everything comes together. When he submits to Yeshua, everything comes together. Because that same picture is what, is what a biblical family is all about. And, and do they do it because they have to? No, because they want to. They choose to. They do it because it's like Yeshua in Revelation 3.20. You know, Yeshua could just... I had a guy one time come to me. He was struggling with coming to the Lord. And he was struggling with the concept of that it's his choice. That he can choose to or not to. And he said to me, he says, Why doesn't God just make us all fall on our faces and accept him? Then we'll all be saved. I go, well... I go, I'll tell you what. How about this? When, when you were courting your wife, if you had the power, here's, here's, here's one, one for the teens, if you had the power to make somebody love you, would you use it? Well, I was thinking when I was a teen, yeah, I'm going to make her love me. You know, love me. And let, let's say she did. Well, you know, that's not really love, is it? Because you made it happen. You want someone to love you because they choose to love you from their heart to you. It's their choice. Now you've got something. So the, the Lord is saying, you know what? I'm not rude. Uh, I, I am gentle and kind. And, and I will only come into your life if invited. If you don't invite me, I'm not going to come in. I'm not going to barge in. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not, I kick it down. And I'm coming in, like it or not. I'm going to save you. you know. No. I'm at your door. I'm knocking. If you would like to open that door and invite me in, I'll come in. But if you don't want me to come in, I'm not coming in. Okay? But we ask him to come in. We choose that relationship. That's what this is all about. In a biblical marriage, we choose the relationship, and even choosing that aspect of, of submission because it's based on submitting to the Lord. We're getting toward the end of the picture. We're getting there. Okay? But, but it's not the picture of wives submit, uh, master-slave. The structure, the picture, the model, is what we actually see happening in the book of Acts, where you had teams, ministry teams, made up of men and women. 
And you know Aquila and Priscilla? Or is it Priscilla and Aquila? Well, there's mentioned, it's mentioned four times. The, the first person when you have a team is the leader of the team, is the team leader. Uh, Priscilla is mentioned three times out of four first. She's, she was the leader. Okay, y'all said, you, wait a minute, you have women leaders? Yes, you do in the book of Acts. Paul the Pharisee, yes, he did. He went to Lydia's service that she led, didn't object, he, he, he took part in it and so on. So all of a sudden, this, this picture of these, the harsh Pharisee Paul, anti-woman, is just not true at all. He's elevating women to a much higher level than, than what they were in that time. A much higher level. You see it in, in the book of Acts. Uh, we talked last week about the leaving and cleaving and the two becoming one, that unique relationship. And, and remember I said that some women say, well, I'm going to lose my, my independence, my identity. Well, not exactly, because together you form an identity of togetherness, and we use the word interdependent. You see, you're, that's not master-slave. You're interdependent. She and I are interdependent on each other, Okay that the term from the, the movie Jerry Maguire, like the movie or not, has a couple of great scenes in it where that concept of the bonding where the words are, you complete me. That really says a lot. That's the picture in the opening chapters of Genesis all the way right here, that God has a person to bring into your life that will complete you. Not to be your slave, man, but someone to complete all that you are. You're, she fills in the gaps of your weaknesses. She makes those things stronger. Together you're a team in life, a team in ministry, not master-slave. You need each other. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's the idea. We, do you need that person? Does, does the master need that slave? No, no, I'll, I'll get another one. That's not the way it works in marriage. You know, that when I talk to people, when, they, when, when they're talking about setting a date, you know, as the question is, well, can you live with that person and get along with them? No, the question is, can you live without them? You say, you know, I, you know, I've come to the place where I know that I cannot live without that person in my life. That's what I want to hear, is that one. Because I need that person, not a person, I need that person. No one has done that in my life except her. And here's the reason I need her. I'm so much better a person, I'm stronger. Okay, my weaknesses become strengths because we're a team together. Starting in Genesis, we shared last week, and what this picture is, it's a partnership. Those, the, the actual structure is a partnership of a man and a woman in partnership. Stronger because they're together, and they want to be. It's voluntary. It's not in, in subjection to. And a partner together in life, in, as believers in ministry. The word used for submit conveys the thought of this. Now we wrap it together. Being in sync. See, it's a lousy word in English, submit. But it means it's a picture of the man and the woman being in sync together. The lives are synchronized. That doesn't sound like submission. That sounds like a really good thing. You bet it is, too. It is. Being in sync together, being a team, working together, not a dictator, me telling you what to do. But I did put the tie on, okay? I did put the tie on. They had really good ideas, man. Let me tell you, they really had good ideas. Uh, you should listen to what they say. You know, she'll come in and, and I'll be doing this. She knows nothing about all the tools and things that I'm doing. And she'll say, well, why don't you do that? And I'm going, oh, come on. You don't know anything about this. I'm looking, and then I start looking and I go, she's right. <laughs> that, that is how you fix this. Okay. Women, women have intuition of stuff. 
They really do. Listen to them. I knew of a pastor, unnamed, because you know who it is, and they were um, building a new building and on, on a hillside. And they were getting it all ready, and they were doing all this. And so the pastor's wife said, you know what? See that great big boulder up there? Well, well, when you do all this, that's going to come rolling down the hill and smash into this building. They'll just all laugh. What do you know? Ah, come on. Why don't you go make lunch for us all, okay? Guess what? They started fiddling around in that boulder, rolled down the hill, smashing into the building. Just like she said. It's like, should have listened. Okay, they, they had something. Because it's, it's a team. In perception, they're working together. The summary of the section can go something like this. It's, it should sound like this. Husbands, this is a big one. Listen carefully. This is what it's really saying. Husbands, submit to loving your wives as Yeshua loved his sheep. That's what it's saying. Husbands, submit to Yeshua. Husbands, submit to loving the way he loves. Because when you look at that picture, the, the requirement of how to love is phenomenal. Listen again. Husbands, submit to loving your wives as Yeshua loved his sheep. In verse 29 are those two words. The husband is called to nourish and to cherish the gift that was given to him. Eve was a gift to Adam. And the right person that God has for you is a gift from him that will complete you. And the husband's role is to nourish and to cherish. Those are the words that Paul uses. Hardly a master-slave, but that's the action. That's what the kids at home need to see. Husbands, one more thing. Notice that that, that, that section about us is, is long and the wives are kind of short. It's a commandment, by the way. It's a commandment. The wives don't have it, <laughs> just the husbands. It's the commandment, husbands, love your wives like this. It is a commandment. Stated very strongly. To love your wife in the way that Yeshua loves his sheep. That's a commandment. That's a commandment. Most people see it like this. Well, well she's supposed to submit rather than he's supposed to love. That's the way, that's what this is really saying. He is supposed to agape. So men, men, so do you want to be the king of the castle? Hmm? By the way, everything I say not only shields me accountable for, you do because it's being re uh, recorded, right? So, man, do you, you want to be king of the castle? Well, then you better treat her like she's the queen, okay? She is the, you're right. You're right. She is the queen by, by God's design. And it's the king and the queen ruling a home together, not a master-slave. The king doesn't call the slave and ask for advice. He asks the queen, and together they rule the home. That's the picture. That's the picture. So don't, so young men and women, don't let other people with their agendas come and say, it's a master-slave relationship, you have to, you know, no. It's a team. It's teamwork. It's completion. It's acknowledging the gift that God has uniquely designed, especially for me, with me in mind, for nobody else. Paul is actually saying that here. It's that unique. And because it's that way, we cherish it. And we nourish it. It's, it's that, that, that nourishing aspect. And the commandment is for the men. 
It doesn't say, and wives, you too, love your husbands. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, wives, respect your husbands, which is connected to another scripture, another verse here that talks about we do what we do in respect of Yeshua because of who he is. Now, the bottom line is this. Psychologists, after 2,000 years of studying all this stuff, have figured this one out, right? And what do women need? Women need to be loved. What do men need? Respect. 2,000 years ago, you have it right there. It's part of the Messianic wedding ceremony that women have a need to be loved. Men have a need to be respected. So men, you should go home and demand your respect, right? Doris is laughing at me again. How do you get respect? By loving this, by loving your wife the way Yeshua loves us. If you do that, the natural response is the respect. And you have the team together and a happy home. Well, if you walk around demanding, I demand you respect me. No, it doesn't work. I've been in homes of people where they t- take the other version of, the, of this interpretation and the, the wife who is submitting, before she speaks and says anything, well, raise her hand. And he, he'll say, yes, you may speak, and then she speaks. But if he doesn't call on her, she can't talk. That is not what this is saying, okay? That is not what this is saying. It's a team together in life, in ministry, a partnership, a companionship that God has designed and brought together. And when you, <laughs> the highest calling is in the men. Love your wives the way Yeshua loves us and laid his life down for us. Are you willing to do that? To lay your life down for your spouse? You know, in the book of Hebrews, there's a little passing quote. It's really nice. It says, And the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Men, can you look your wife in the eye and say that? I, girls, you need to have a guy say this to you and mean it. Okay, if things are getting serious, this is what you need to hear. Them say to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Aaron and Dan are a good example of that. It's not, you know, when things get tough, I'm going to go. No. It's like, no matter what, I will never leave you. No matter what. Because that's the model of Yeshua. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's the relationship that will last me in the tough times. And that's a biblical role model of how a wife and her husband work together. So, and by the way, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I've got to say, you complete me. You complete me. God did a good thing when he brought us together. And I'm praying for you kids that you will have the patience to wait for the right person, and that you'll recognize who that is. And don't settle for, for the first one or two that come along who are great people, but they're the wrong people. Make sure you hear from the Lord. One of my first questions in pre-marriage counseling, okay, why are you getting married? Well, because, no, I, wanna, I want you to say, we have heard from the Lord. Because in, in 25 years and then in 50 years, when times get tough, you can say, you know what, we heard from the Lord. We stand, we stand on that. We heard from God. He has brought us together. And one of the opening lines in our wedding ceremony was something like, we believe that God has brought us together. And I still believe that. Okay? I still still believe that. 
and I want that for you. I want you to have the best. And he wants to, he wants you to have the best, not not second best. So sometimes waiting, but they didn't have to wait. She was eight, 18, just turned 19, and uh, in their testimony of how they shared that, Aaron was lightening up in, 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 in the group we were in, and you could just see this happening out of a movie scene where he looks across the room, and there's this face that lights up. And he goes, that's the only person I see out of a movie. And she kind of mentions to her girlfriend, I'm going to marry that guy. Because God was doing a work in both hearts at the same time. That's how he works, at the same time. So my prayer for you is that the right person, there's a right person at a right time in a right place. That the synchronization, you have it together. That you hear from him. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in providing all of our needs. And Lord, sometimes the answer of that person comes later in life than we wanted. But Lord, it's worth the wait. Lord, if some have to wait longer than others, I pray that they would be patient in, in waiting upon you. In those opening lines of Genesis where it says, it's not good that a man should be alone. I pray that we wouldn't jump the gun and, and just say, well, I need somebody now. No, there's a, a person he is, is gifting you with. Wait for that person. Lord, I pray for discernment for our teens and, and young adults, that they would have the discernment to recognize who that is. They would hear your voice and wait patiently for that one that you've designed to complete them. And that they can say with all depth of heart and honesty, I will never, I will never leave you or forsake you. When times get tough, I, no matter what, I will never leave you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the discernment to recognize who that is. And I thank you that it's your perfect plan. And, there, and there's a divine appointment with those two people. Thank you for Aaron and Diane. And the testimony they have of 50 years today. 50 years. And we can see that they still love each other and have fun together. Thank you for their example. May you bless the Oneg and the fellowship and the sharing today. And the celebration of, of 50 years. In Yeshua's name we ask. Amen.